Please stand for the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 2, verses 39 to 52. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Thank you. Thanks, Lindsay. It is good to be back with you guys. Um, My family and I got to go down to Colorado last week and um, enjoy New Year's and some time time off. It was really nice. And, um, you know, there's two kinds of vacations. There's a kind where you, you go and you do lots of activity and it's really fun. And then there's the kind where you sit and do nothing. This was the kind where you sit and do nothing and it was great. So we're really thankful for that. Hopefully you guys had a good time over the holidays too. Um, uh, before we dive into this, let, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, uh, we come before you, Lord, um, as we've been singing all these songs, just grateful for our Savior, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we recognize that every blessing that is ours is through Jesus, Lord. You, you have um, provided us so many good, wonderful blessings, um, chief of which would be a restored relationship with you, Lord. Thank you, Father, that you have loved us, you have adopted us as your children through faith in Christ. And um, Lord, as we take the time this morning to consider your word and what you have for us, Uh, May our hearts grow once more in our appreciation for Jesus Christ, um, for who he is, uh, for what he did for us, and Lord, may we marvel um, at who he is today. And we love you, Lord, and we just pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this is quite the story. Um, If you remember, the Gospel of Luke begins with Luke saying that he collected eyewitness testimony and put together an orderly account. And so you can imagine Luke sitting down with Mary, the mother of Jesus, in her later years, and hearing some stories of of the events that unfolded. And this is something that she would have definitely remembered. (laughs) The day that she lost Jesus. This, This would be memorable. Quick show of hands, how many of you have ever lost one of your children? Be honest. Yeah, okay. 
So, so a few hands out there. Um, we've lost children before. We got them back. Have, haven't, you know, we've, we've got all of them accounted for. But, um, yeah, I mean, at one point when our son Nathan was two or three, he, he got tall enough that he could reach the door handle. And Nathan was fearless. He, I mean, he was never afraid of anything. And so Kim was in another room, and Nathan walked out the front door, just took off. So a little bit later, knock on the front door, and, and this lady, you know, one of our neighbor ladies, um, is holding Nathan's hand. Does this, this boy belong to you? <laughs> so we got him back. I mean, he's, we got him back. And another story that I remember is um, Kim's youth group, uh, and I heard this from several different people, this story told, but Kim's youth group uh, would often go on summer mission trips and they were on one of these long road trips, um, three or four vans, um, kind of a caravan. They were driving along the highway. They stopped at a rest stop. Everybody got out and used the restroom, came back, except for one. And they all took off. They got about 50 miles down the road, and they're talking on the walkie-talkies, and they realize, oh, this one kid's not with us. <laughs> so they have to turn around and drive 50 miles back. Now, this was the days before cell phones. So this, this young boy um, had... No way of contacting them, and they had no way of contacting him, so a little bit of nervousness there. But they got him. They got him back. So um, you can imagine, Mary definitely would have remembered this scenario, especially since it was like three days until they found him. So of the four Gospels, it's interesting. Luke is the only one who gives us any kind of description of any of the years during Jesus' growing up years. So... Um, the, other, the other three Gospels don't mention anything about that. Luke is the only one, and he only gives us this one snapshot. And sure, it's memorable, definitely memorable, but there's probably something more to it than that. It's probably more than just a fun story. The Holy Spirit saw fit to have Luke write this down in the Scriptures for a reason so that 2,000 years later, we would be able to learn something from this story. And so what is it that we are supposed to understand as a result of this story? So to help us see that, um, Luke gives us some good clues here. So um, he begins and ends the story with, with this statement, almost identical. Verse 40, And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. So Luke introduces the story by explaining that Jesus was growing up, right? More or less, that's what he's saying. Jesus was growing up, and that's to be expected. That's what every child does. But it's weird for the almighty, eternal God to be growing up as a boy. How does that even work? Um, In some ways, it's completely normal Jesus is growing up, and yet there's a couple clues that Luke gives that it's not completely normal. He says that he was filled with wisdom. I don't know about you. How many, how many of you have met 12-year-old boys before? Um, <laughs> so typically 12-year-old boys are not filled with wisdom. This, this is unusual. <laughs> no offense to any 12-year-old boys in the room. Um, but you also see that the favor of God was upon Jesus, and that means that God was choosing to bless Jesus in, in every way. And then at the end of this, so, so that's how he starts this account. And then down at the end, verse 52, he says, Jesus increased 
in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Now, again, that's what we would expect from an ordinary human being. And that's kind of the point, is that Jesus became human, took on all aspects of our human nature except for sin, and so Jesus is able to increase in wisdom. Jesus is able to display a lot of the same things that you would see in a normal human being. Hebrews 4.15 is really helpful. Um, Describing Jesus, it says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus sets aside certain of his privileges as God when he took on the weaknesses of man. Um, I remember when I was, when when our oldest daughter Emily was first born, um, one of my first impressions of her in the first couple days is how completely, utterly incapable of anything she was. Like, she couldn't do anything. And so she was born a month early. She was a month premature. And she was hypotonic, which means um, lacking in muscle tone. And so for the first couple months, she had a hard time even holding up her head. And so you know, I'm a brand new dad, and I'm so excited. We have a kid now, and I can't wait to play with my kid, but um, she just laid there and didn't do anything. And uh, I remember about a week after she was born, I had this dream. And in, in my dream, our infant, Emily, was speaking to us in full sentences. And I woke up and thought, that was a weird dream. (laughs) That was a really weird dream. Well, we might be tempted to view Jesus in that way. You know, Jesus comes out of the womb and says, truly, truly, I say unto you, or something. That's probably not the case, right? He came out. He had to learn how to talk. He had to learn how to walk. Jesus grew up as a human being. Um. As he gets older, we, of course, find out he's not an ordinary human being. He is, in fact, the Son of God, which had been announced to Mary and others. Um, But he still had to grow up. Now, how all that works, I'm just going to be honest, I don't know. This is, I think Dan mentioned it, this is one of the great mysteries of the Christian faith, is how Almighty God could become a human being it's the greatest miracle of all of them. It's beyond our comprehension. You know, at times, Jesus has knowledge that only God could have. And so, at times, Jesus knows the hearts of men, the Gospel of John says. Or uh, Jesus, um, it'll, it'll say, the Pharisees were thinking this, and then Jesus will respond to them. <laughs> he knows exactly what they're thinking. He can read their thoughts. Well, that's, that's incredible. That's something only God can do. But then at other times, you read, like in Matthew 24, verses 35 and 36, Jesus says this. He says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. That's a statement only God could make. But he goes on to describe about heaven and earth passing away. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. And I take that to mean that that Jesus has laid aside some aspect of his omniscience for a time while he was a human, um, as a human here on earth. And so Jesus took on humanity with 
our weaknesses so that he could live as one of us. And one major aspect of being a human is growing up. And it's, it's not always one of the easiest aspects of being a human. It's, it's tough growing up. And so this story is really about a pivotal moment in the life of Jesus as he's growing up. And there's a lot more to it than just a fun story. Um, what we find out is that Jesus is no ordinary human being. So I want to point out three amazing things about Jesus in this passage. The first one is his wisdom, uh, his wisdom and his understanding. So in verse 46 and 47, uh, after three days, Joseph and Mary found Jesus in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Uh, the word for temple here is really referring to the temple complex as the whole area. So there's lots of buildings and little courtyards and things. And, and it was common for teachers at that time to set up in one of these little shaded areas and gather some students together and teach them. And this is something Jesus is going to do later in his ministry. He's going to do the same exact thing. He's going to go and gather, te- gather students around him and teach them there. Um, What's, what's amazing is not that a 12-year-old boy would go sit there and learn. Um, it's pretty common for a 12-year-old boy to be learning the Torah. That's what they did at that age. Uh, what's, what's amazing is their response to him, right? In verse 47, all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and answers. Uh, later in his life, Jesus is going to have that effect on people all the time. Uh, but what's so amazing here is that he's only 12. <laughs> he's already having... This, um, this response. Uh, what's impressive is he has the understanding to know the right questions to ask. Um, I, I could have a conversation with Sean, for instance. Sean works at PNNL, and I could ask him about um, his work, but it would quickly become clear that I know almost nothing about electron microscopes and things like that. Um, or radioactive isotopes, or whatever it is that Sean does, um, it would quickly become clear that I don't know anything, actually. Um, Jesus knew the right questions to ask because Jesus had understanding. Um, One one other thing I want to point out is there's a difference, and we all know this, between knowledge and understanding. Knowledge is knowing facts, understanding, or wisdom is knowing what to do with those facts. And uh, understanding is sort of a a synonym for wisdom. And so several times Jesus is is described as having wisdom in this passage. Verse 40, filled with wisdom. You know, down here in verse uh, 47, they're they're just amazed at his understanding. Again, verse 52, he's continuing to increase in wisdom. And so that's a major mark of who Jesus was already at age 12. And we should expect this because this is is what was described of how the Messiah would be when he came. So Isaiah says these words about the coming Messiah. He says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So Isaiah announces this hundreds of years in advance, that this coming Messiah, the king, would be filled with wisdom and understanding. Now, we live in a, just a really interesting time. 
um, a kind of an amazing time. Uh, it's the year 2024, in the year of our Lord, 2024, and um, we still know flying cars, but we do have these amazing contraptions that we carry around in our pocket, and I have in my pocket access to more knowledge than I'll ever have time to read in my life or learn in my life. Tons of knowledge, seemingly unlimited knowledge. That It's the information age. Um, most of what we use that for is entertainment and shopping. <laughs> uh, we, we don't really use this for wisdom. How many people are go- growing wise because they have a cell phone? Um, I, I don't think there's probably many. Uh, here's why this story about Jesus matters for us. In an age of knowledge without wisdom, we need to rely on Jesus who is full of wisdom and understanding. In an age of knowledge without wisdom, we need Jesus. Uh, the, world's, the, the words Jesus spoke 2,000 years ago are just as relevant today as they were back then. You know, a lot of things have changed. We have these now, you know. The world seems to have changed, but people are still the same. Still struggling with all the same stuff that we were before. Sin is still the issue, um, and Jesus is still the answer. We still need to rely on him. Uh, So we see the wisdom of Jesus. We also see in Jesus this amazing commitment to his father. So verse 48, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Mary is upset, (laughs) as any mother would be. And she asked Jesus why uh, he's treated them in this way. She uses that little phrase, maybe you've heard this a couple times growing up somewhere along the way, your father and I. Your father and I have looked all over for you. Um, Notice how Jesus responds to this um, by mentioning his father's house. It's it's just a fascinating little turn of the phrase. Uh, Mary refers to your father, speaking about Joseph, and Jesus says, I had to be in my father's house, referring to God, his father. And so Jesus immediately is, is challenging her assumptions, um, helping them to see something really important here, which is where his ultimate allegiance has to be. Uh, I think it's worth asking the question. I don't know if you ever do this when you're reading the Bible, but I ask questions all the time. So um, I think it's worth asking the question, why didn't Jesus just tell them what he was going to do? He knew in advance. And besides that, you don't have to be omniscient to know that the parents are going to be worried. <laughs> he surely knew that they would be upset by this. Um, so why didn't he just tell them, hey, I'm going to go over there for a while? Well, it seems like he is trying to make a point. And he's, he's trying to show that his primary commitment has to be to God the Father. And moving forward in, in life, this is going to become much clearer for them. But this was a pivotal moment for the family, and, and Jesus wants them to understand his commitment to the Father. He says, I must be in my Father's house. Uh, that little statement there, I must be, 
Jesus says similar things quite a few times through his ministry. Um, and, And it's always related to this mission that God has sent him on to bring redemption, to bring salvation. And so, let me read a couple of these. So Luke 4, 43, Jesus said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. He says, I must do this, right? Like it's not optional, even though he's Jesus, he's the son of God, he has freedom to do what he wills, but this is important, he must do this. Luke 9.22 says, um, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So for Jesus, this is is non-negotiable. He had to do this. Um, He had to be, he must be in his father's house. Um, It's where he would grow in wisdom and understanding. It was also where he would show where his true allegiance was was. Even if that would strain his relationships around him, he had to commit first to the Father. Um, We live in an age of moral relativism, um, incredible pressure to call evil good and good evil, cancel culture and all that stuff. And it takes a lot of conviction to keep God as your number one absolute commitment that he is the one that you will follow even when it's not popular. And so here's why this story about Jesus matters to us. In an age of compromise, we need to follow the example of Jesus who had the conviction to serve God, his Father, above all others, no matter what. And so we see the wisdom of Jesus. We see Jesus' commitment to the Father. But then we also see this last thing which is his submission to his parents. It's just really interesting. So verse 50 and 51. And they, Joseph and Mary, did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Now I want to point out something obvious here. Verse 50 says they didn't understand what Jesus was saying, okay? So that means Jesus understood some things that they didn't. And here's why that matters. Um, Jesus understood things his parents didn't. He, he knew things they didn't, and yet he still was submissive to them. Um, it's hard to be submissive to your parents. Let's just be honest. I'm looking at all the kids in the room. It's hard to be submissive to your parents. Is that, is that can I get an Amen. Anyone? No? Everybody's afraid to give an amen. Um, I remember growing up and being, at times, fully aware that my parents didn't know everything. I don't know. Anybody else ever aware of that? Um, you know, parents are just people. They're just people. But it's frustrating, right? Especially if you're a teenager, you know, and your parents don't know everything, and um, you're supposed to obey your parents, and that's hard. And so Jesus... You know, he's 12 years old, and he's schooling us all. He's teaching us so much here about why to obey our parents. What's, what's behind that? Um, Jesus really helps us understand how to think about this. Again, it, it may be obvious, but I just want to point it out. Jesus is not being submissive to his parents because he thinks they're wiser than he is. He's not submitting to them because they know stuff he doesn't. 
That's not the motive here. Jesus is submissive to his parents because it's the right thing to do. It's what he should do. So the Ten Commandments include this this command. You guys know this. It's the fifth command. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. That one always sounds like it's like a veiled threat. Like, honor your parents and you'll live longer. (laughs) Honor your parents or else, you know. Um, For Jesus to be without sin, he had to obey this command. He had to honor his father and mother. So it's essential that he be submissive to his parents. But I think there's more to it than just, well, I had to because the command said so. I think we can go a little deeper than that. Um, This idea of subordinate roles among people is foundational to how our world works because it's foundational to how God works. God has eternally existed as three persons, equal in deity, sharing one essence, and yet within the Trinity, the Son is submissive to the Father. Right? So, Father and Son are equal, And yet the Son is submissive to the Father. They're equally divine, but the Son of God has a subordinate role. And that's how God operates in His perfect wisdom. And it really provides a basis for how the world works, right? The world is full of parents and children and governors and citizens and bosses and employees and all these different relationships. And everywhere we go, we find authority structures where God has ordained some people to be in charge over other people. And I just want to point out that it is a demonic lie to think that's a bad thing. It's it's a profoundly good thing that God chooses to order the world this way. Submission to authority is how the family works. It's how the church works. It's how every nation is supposed to work. And it's, all of that is because submission to authority is how the Trinity works. God set up the world in this way, and it is profoundly good. And yet we're surrounded, really, with a lot of cultural influences to push us in the direction of rebellion against authority. Right? You really don't have to look very far. So let me just give you a couple examples. These are maybe obvious ones. Have you ever seen the movie The Little Mermaid? So, so let me give you the plot line for The Little Mermaid. A young girl rebels against her authoritarian father, but in the end, it's okay. And she was basically right. Okay? Or let, let me give you the plot line to Moana. A young girl rebels against her authoritarian father, but in the end, it's okay, and she was basically right. I think we could go through a number of, of movies that way. Um, have you noticed in Star Wars, it's the rebels who are the good guys? Um, It's a rare thing, in fact, to find a movie about rebellion where it's portrayed as a bad thing. And yet, in contrast, look at how the Bible describes rebellion. Um, Here's what God tells King Saul in response to his rebellion. He says, rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you've rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. That was a really big deal. We live in a culture that views rebellion as sort of cool and edgy. You know, rebellion is, is kind of portrayed as a almost expected, and, you know, teenage rebellion is almost portrayed as like, well, yeah, of course they're going to do that. That's just normal. Uh, we have tons of 
of our popular musicians who try to look rebellious. You know, you've got like the rap star that makes a million dollars and lives in a mansion, but he's trying to look like he's, he's edgy and rebellious. But we know the truth of God's word, and we need to be careful not to believe the lie that rebellion is a good thing. So here's why this story about Jesus matters for us. In an age of rebellion, we need to follow the example of Jesus, who submitted to his parents purely because this was the right thing to do. Uh, Jesus is just an amazing example of wisdom and of commitment to the Father and of submission to his parents. Um, Let me share one more thing about Luke's uh, description of Jesus here, because it's it's really cool. Um, there's, There's a really clear connection between what Luke says here about Jesus and what the Old Testament says about the prophet Samuel. Okay, so let me refresh our memories. Who is Samuel? Well, there's, there's a book in the Old Testament called 1 Samuel. It starts out about Samuel. In those first two chapters, we learn about his mother, Hannah. And Hannah is a godly woman who is unable to have children. God answers her prayers. She gives birth to a son, Samuel. And Hannah made a promise that if God gave her a son, she would give him to serve the Lord. And so after Samuel's born, she takes him to the the house of the Lord and drops him off, leaves him there. And Samuel wasn't a Levite, but Samuel ends up serving in the house of the Lord. And we find out that the other priests there were terrible. So you have Eli and his sons Phinehas and Hophni, I think, right? And, And they're just awful. And the Lord ends up taking them out. They they all die in a single day. And the ministry of Samuel really replaces them. Okay? And then we read over in 1 Samuel 2.26 these words and see if this sounds familiar. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. Isn't that interesting? It's almost the exact phrase that, that... God, by the Holy Spirit, chooses to have Luke write about Jesus. So Luke's making a comparison here, I think. You know, God was directly involved in the birth of both Samuel and Jesus. Both men replaced the wicked priests of their time. Both men ministered in the house of the Lord. Both men were great prophets before the Lord. And Luke draws our attention to all that with with kind of like this hyperlink. You know, you click on this. Oh, we're over here now. Um, he, he provides us this link to see that just like Samuel, Jesus grew in stature and in favor with God and man. And if you thought the ministry of Samuel was amazing, just wait till you see what Jesus does. Um, so to, to answer the question I asked earlier, why, why did Luke include this story about Jesus? You know, Jesus was born, and then 30 years later, he starts his ministry And what happened in between? We get one story, and it's this. Well, I think Jesus, um, I think what Luke wants us to see is that Jesus was fully human, and, and he grew up just like other boys did. And yet, in the midst of that, Jesus was not an ordinary human, right? Even at age 12, he is displaying something that shows he is not an ordinary human being. He is In fact, the Son of God. And the perfect Son of God had to be in his Father's house. Um, Let's pray. 
Um, Lord Jesus, you are uh, absolutely amazing. You were the perfect 12-year-old boy. And you displayed such incredible wisdom, such perfect submission to your father, and also such perfect submission to your earthly parents. And so, Lord, we thank you for your amazing example. Thank you for humbling yourself and becoming a human. Thank you for entering into our world and sharing our weaknesses. Thank you for living a life free from sin as a perfect example for each of us. And Father, I pray that you would help us to live our lives in submission to you. Um, protect us, Lord, please. Protect us from falling into the, <clears throat> the compromise and the rebellion of our current age, Lord. May we submit to the authorities you've placed in our lives, Lord. And may we live our lives in unwavering devotion to you. And Lord, we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, at this time, we're going to take communion together. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. I'd invite the servers to come forward. And I want to point out something here. I've mentioned um, in this message several times um, that Jesus was the perfect example for us. Uh, but there's, there's something more. Um, his sinless life... You know, it was more than just a perfect example. His sinless life allowed him to be the perfect sacrifice for us. Allowed him to die in our place to pay the penalty for our sins. Um, Hebrews 7 says these words. It was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted, Above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. And so it's it's worth reminding ourselves he's not just the perfect example, he is the perfect sacrifice. He is the one who paid the debt for our sins. And through faith in him, we can have access to God. We can have a restored relationship with God himself. And so as we take communion this morning, um, I would just encourage you to reflect on Jesus, um, who was sinless and who was both a perfect example for us, but also the perfect sacrifice for us. Um, Communion is, of course, for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior. And if that's you, I would invite you to come up to the front. Um, We can go out the sides and then come back down the middle, and we'll take communion all together in a moment here. Thanks.